0: What we read together today for our Confession of Faith was somewhat long and somewhat complex. Maybe your your mind felt like there was a kink in it after you worked through all those hard words and concepts, although they're all biblical. So we'll give your mind a little relief by having a short and simple text today. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 only are the text, but I'm going to just add as an accompanying word, Some verses from John 14 as well. First, Matthew 7, the words of Christ, beginning at verse 13. He said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And then very well-known words that I believe accompany, and you you should see why if you don't notice it even as I read. John 14, beginning at verse 5, Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Exactly four years ago, in the winter of 2003, my wife and I were fortunate to be able to be building a house. And while we built that house... We had to live somewhere, and we had sold the other house that we had lived in, so we were also fortunate to be able to use a temporary home in the village of Neffsville, not real far from here. It was a house located only, I guess, about 50 yards from the busy thoroughfare of Route 501, which, as you know, has traffic day and night streaming north and south through Lancaster County. We could hear that traffic from the driveway or the front door of that temporary residence. And yet, this home was not on Route 501. It was actually on a little lane or almost, you'd call it, an alley that we never knew existed until we had the opportunity to stay there for several months. It was interesting, whenever we would want to have some company come, friends from church or anyone else And we would have to tell them, we lived in Neffsville. Oh, everybody knows where Neffsville is, sure. Well, where? What's the address? Well, if I just told them the address, they would have no clue. And I had to tell them, you have to go into the parking lot of a building, and around the back of the building, you find the opening to this little lane with several houses on it. That's where we are. Well, it was really interesting to make sure that people got that instruction so they could find the entrance to this small lane where we were living. I think that's a perfect picture of what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 7 as he begins bringing the Sermon on the Mount to closure. You may not realize it just by looking at your Bible, but most people see verse 13 through the end of chapter 7 as the what the preacher would call the application of the sermon. The main points have been made, the main material has been taught, and now is the call for decision. What is the audience going to do with what has been said to them? Jesus has painted a picture of the kingdom of God and of what it is like to be a member of that kingdom and to walk in that kingdom in trust in him. And he's contrasted the kingdoms of false religion and the thinking of the wider world, what we might call pop culture today. And he's saying, now, which way are you going to go? It's time for decision. And what unites this second half of Matthew 7 with some thematic unity is the way in which he takes pairs of things that absolutely contrast. One, a true thing, the other, a false thing. Here we we talk about two roads that lead to different places, and that's what we'll dwell on today. But then he talks about true prophets versus false prophets, and how do you know the difference? And then he talks about a solid foundation versus a sandy, shallow, useless foundation that will crumble. And in all of these things, he's trying to tell you that your life depends on knowing the difference and making a commitment or choice between these kinds of things, between the gospel message that he presents, the good news of faith in him, or the road you're walking on without him. I see this, as many have before me, as a simple challenge to us about life at the decisive crossroads, where every person has to stand and make a choice. Now, first of all, I ask you to consider the matter of two completely opposite destinations that are spoken about here in this text. We read from Jesus, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. Obviously, he's talking about ultimate destinies, ultimate goals. And he could have used the words heaven or hell. He chose to use synonyms for those and speak about destruction and life. And it's important for us to hear what he's saying here. It always comes to a surprise to some people to hear that it is the the man who they think of as once called gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who has the most grim, and harsh-sounding words to speak of anybody in the entire Bible about the reality of what is called hell. He uses the word destruction here as a final destiny that people will face with a great shock when their life on earth ends. And he uses a Greek word that, that means to be undone or ruined. My generation had a slang term in People would would say if they were overly tired or maybe they'd abuse drugs or alcohol or something, and they'd say, I'm entirely wasted. You know, my physical standing is a mess. I'm coming apart. Well, this word destruction is even stronger than that. It literally means for the wheels to come off the vehicle. And it's a terrible word because... God, by nature, we know, is the creator. He's not the destroyer. He doesn't desire in the deep way to destroy people. But people have chosen to go the way of sin and the way of death. And if they continue in that way without him, running from him and opposing him and rebelling against him, his justice and his holiness has to deal with that at some point. Matthew 25:46 says Jesus speaking about a great judgment throne. It's a very prophetic message, a hard message to hear for those who oppose the gospel. That entire 25th chapter of Matthew, I trust, will get there in months to come. And Jesus speaks there about this great throne judgment in which some people will enter the blessedness of life with God, but others will be consigned to eternal disaster destruction. This is a consistent kind of a word in the New Testament. It's not only Jesus that spoke it. We hear him uh, using it in another instance in John seventeen twelve. He spoke about Judas on that occasion, and he called Judas, quote, the one doomed for destruction. But Paul used the same word. Romans 9, has him speaking about non-believers as, quote, objects of wrath, Prepared for destruction. And it isn't only a New Testament truth either. The Old Testament certainly shows these same opposing ultimate destinies. I think of the text in Proverbs 14, 12. says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. It leads to death. It looks good. It looks like a way you would want to go but the end of it brings you death. Well, that's a theme, of course, that we could explore at great length, but we wouldn't get the whole understanding here this morning. But certainly, we must take the awful reality of what is held out in that destiny called destruction. But now Jesus says there's a better ultimate destiny that you could seek. It's one actually that doesn't originate with him again in the Old Testament, has it? Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30 held before Israel the options of what we would call the gospel, at least in its Old Testament, form. And Moses said, I have set before you today life and death, blessing and curse. So now choose life so that you and your children might live. Moses was pleading, Israel, why do you want to die? Don't you want the goodness of life with God and the joy of being in his presence? Choose it by faith. I've said it before you. Now, this word life, as opposed to that word destruction, could certainly be a word spelled in all capital letters. I read you the parallel, well-known text of John 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, the only life. There isn't any life that lasts or endures or is is vibrant and solid and reliable outside of me. He said, no man comes to the Father except through me. I'm the gate of life. And we know, of course, that the Bible's verdict, if you read it honestly, is that every natural-born human being in this world begins, of course, biologically alive. We celebrate the, li- the life of a new little baby. Everyone gets moist-eyed and, and big smiles, and we look at a little baby. It's wonderful to see them, their life. But as they progress through the world, we all realize the Bible's verdict is that we may be biologically alive, and there is a wonder about that. But at the same time, we are spiritually dead. We are morbid. <laughs> Unable to respond to the things of God unless God by His Spirit awakens and draws that response from us. It is in God that we find the ability even to taste what life means as we trust in His Son and accept the gift of His payment for sin at the cross and His resurrection benefits. He, the Scripture says, God actually comes to live in us by his Holy Spirit. He indwells us and his life now, even before eternity, you know, comes to its fruition for us in the final day after death. Even before that, we begin to live, not just biologically, but spiritually, the very life of God. Now, Matthew 7 is announcing, you can't miss what's being said here. The alternatives are very stark Between these two destinies, you are heading towards one of these two destinies. And the road to the one called destruction is actually humanity's default road. That's not right here in this verse, but certainly you could be defended from the rest of the New Testament. That's where people are going, that's why it's the broad way, it's the default path where everybody's headed unless by the work of God, by the grace of God, we, by faith, take hold of the alternative, the way of life given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So secondly, in addition to the destinations, we want to think about the roads that are spoken of here. And actually, we're speaking about both a gate and a road. I've seen sermons where those are treated as separate points, and I think that kind of misses it a little bit. The gate and the road belong together. You enter the gate and you're on the road. And there are two of these, of course, just like the two destinations. Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to the destination called destruction. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. I've chosen to maybe uh, just bring this up into our idiom a little bit by giving these roads names. The one is Broadway... Often a street that uh, is the main street of some city, you all know what Broadway is in New York City. People just say the word Broadway and it, it summons all kinds of images of what happens there. It's like a, a large, smooth, paved highway with six or eight lanes flowing in one direction like some parts of I-95 that runs from Maine to Florida, I guess. And, you know, you don't have to look for I-95. You, you can hardly miss it. If you drive anywhere near it, there are signs all over the place. Get to I-95 here, and you get on it, and it's certainly not hard to stay on it. Well, the contrast to that, the other road Jesus talks about in my terminology here is called Life Lane. It's a little unpaved logging road that kind of goes off at a certain point, and you look at it, and you think, why would anybody go there? that doesn't look like it really leads anywhere. There are no big green signs telling me that I can get to something I want to. That doesn't look like a road I'd want to take. And of course, Broadway is the road of popular choice. It's the beaten path traveled by millions. It's an easy passage. It has alongside it all the conveniences and the luxuries that you could possibly want. It has... You know, in a sense, an absolutely agreeable passage, because if you talk to those that are traveling along it, why, they will say, why, yes, this road leads everywhere. You know, it doesn't just lead to one place. It leads wherever you want to go. So just get on. It goes there. And there is no differentiation there of saying, oh, no, it won't take you here or there. It goes everywhere. And you see, Broadway is laid out so that people can travel on it like cattle like a herd. And and cattle, you know, don't make sharp right turns. They need broad sweeping curves and and big bridges and so on to accommodate them. Because when people travel in a herd, they don't stop to think or pray or plan or conduct any self-examination of whether they're on the right path. They just follow the herd. Broadway, you see, is a, a way of least resistance you actually would have to make an effort to get off this road. And most people never make the effort because they see no reason to. Why, it must be going somewhere. Look at all the people on it. And you can bring on Broadway. You know, there's no load limit. You can bring along your trailers and your your trucks packed with your pride and your accomplishments and all the things in your resume. Pack it full. Bring along as much as you want, you see. Because Broadway allows you to bring all the baggage. You don't have to leave anything behind. Now, one of the problems on Broadway is the traffic laws are pretty vague. There are really no speed limits. So people are always crossing paths and crashing into each other. And, and here and there you'll find on this path called Broadway through life all kinds of smoldering wreckage uh, where people have been harmed and maimed. And, well, don't worry that isn't too much of a problem. You see, the highway's so wide, everybody just steers around the wreck and keeps on going. You don't have to worry about other people's problems on Broadway. Well, that doesn't sound like a place where I exactly want to be. What about this other road that I'm calling Life Lane? You know, there's a problem with it, and you probably see it in the text. One word that describes it It's a problem word in your mind, I'm sure. It's called narrow. Let's face it, we have a problem with that word, don't we? I think people of a conservative or traditional mindset or opinion can often be stopped cold in their tracks by someone of a more liberal opinion who listens to their view and says, isn't that very narrow thinking? I don't want to be narrow. I guess I better not discuss that anymore. I've seen arguments stop cold over that word. Well, folks, I, for one, want to tell you I'm very glad that the telephone system of our nation, and for that matter, the international telephone system, is narrow If somebody dials 717-569-2151, I'm glad the telephone system is narrow enough that they're connected to our church and not to 50 other churches. What would we do with a phone system that wasn't narrow? I'm glad the laws of physics and chemistry are narrow so that there are things there that we can rely on, principles and, uh, you know, substances and molecular laws that that work, that bring things to pass in reliable manner. I'm glad for that. I'm glad arithmetic is narrow. As far as I know, 2 plus 2 never equals 9. Maybe somebody's figured out some funny math where that works, but I haven't heard about it. Arithmetic is very narrow. Why, then, shouldn't God's way of eternal salvation be definite, specific, specific, and narrow. Why should someone think that it's vague and, and amorphous and nonspecific? You see, Christianity is narrow, we're told here, even at its entrance gate. There's an exact entrance place, one way in. And coming to God by exclusive faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen as your Lord and Savior, is absolutely like a turnstile at a baseball stadium. What if there was only one turnstile at Lancaster's baseball stadium? I think there's several. I don't remember exactly. But what if there was only one? Everybody could still get in. It might take the lines longer, but you could all get in if you had to come through one little turnstile. Hebrews 10.20 called Jesus the new and living way to God. And Jesus said it himself in John chapter 10, I am the door for my sheep. He gave us that metaphor of the good shepherd that literally positions his body in the open door of the pen and protects the sheep from marauders and lets them out as he needs to, but it's only by his say-so that they come or go. The gospel of Jesus is narrow. It has to be said, folks, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist does not pass through that narrow door by practicing his religion. To pass through the narrow gate of faith in Christ is specific. To get through there, you have to strip off a lot of your pride. You have to humble yourself. You have to acknowledge that you're not going to ever save yourself or have a good enough record You have to acknowledge an eternal predicament and acknowledge the one with the answer to that in his cross. And you see, this entrance to this narrow path of life is so specific that many, many people never even see it. They just breeze right on by. They're oblivious. In fact, the Bible says it takes the Spirit of God to waken someone up and the scales to drop off their eyes so that they would see where this entrance place is. And God would then bring them in. This narrow lane, this street I'm calling Life Lane, is is a street whose path isn't defined by opinion polls or the stampeding of the cattle. It's defined by the revelation of God. He laid the path out. Now, if you would stop and think about it, that is the only safe kind of a road to be on. You know, first impression is, well, hmm, Broadway, that's the safe road, isn't it? But wait a minute. What if your journey is actually taking you through minefields and through swamps with deadly quicksand on either side? Don't you want a narrow, well-defined specific path and particularly one which you know a great champion your God and Savior has gone on before you and that he has reached the goal reached the destination safely by the path that he has left marked for you to follow I don't want to be on Broadway or helter-skelter travel if I'm going through a minefield and that's exactly what this life of ours is apart from knowing Jesus Christ all men and women the bible says are naturally wanderers. Romans 3:12 has it they have all gone out of the way. Isn't it interesting that we as evangelical believers sometimes get sort of pushed into a corner to where we think we have to be apologetic about the narrowness of the gospel? I will not apologize. Because without this kind of specific entrance to the way of life, there is no gospel. There's just the stampede of human cattle towards unknown destinations, all of which lead to destruction. There's no gospel if there's no narrow way. And now that we've heard from Jesus about two opposite destinations and two different roads, the third thing to notice quickly is what he says about two crowds. He comments on the numbers. Those on the Broadway are many. Many enter Broadway, he says, but only a few find the gate into the narrow way of the gospel. I know we have teenagers here. I know there are young people here who are not yet teenagers, but thinking about the day when they will be. And, and they have Practiced, I know, and maybe we'll even try it today. So, mom and dad, if they try it today, look at them with a knowing eye when they come to you and say, But mom, everyone is doing it. Don't tell me you haven't tried that. I used to use it with little effect. Because I thank God that my mom and dad had enough sense to say to me sometimes, maybe not these exact words, but in so many words, It doesn't matter. Guess what? Everybody can be absolutely wrong. First of all, everybody's not doing it, but even if they were, they could all be wrong. You see, you can be spiritually ruined by having a crowd mentality. The people around you look like they're having fun, they look healthy, they look prosperous, they're well dressed, they seem to be successful. You never guess what ruinous consequences they are actually facing when they reach the place that their road is taking them. The American poet Robert Frost wrote some well-known words years ago. Among the little store of poetry that is in my brain are these words. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. You see, by becoming a Christian, you join the world's minority. You break with the smooth and mindless ways of a herd mentality. You become one of what the Bible calls God's peculiar people. And you're not ashamed to be that. You know that you have a distinctiveness that comes from likeness to Christ. In fact, the Bible at one place even says you have a distinct aroma You smell different. You are the aroma of Christ in a rotting, decaying society. The Christians' moral, social, and political opinions will never be the most popular. I don't understand people that that wring their hands and say, oh no, this country has gone so far down. You know, it used to be everybody acknowledged God's way and now they don't. Where did you ever get that from? It was never in a state where everybody acknowledged God's way. Our opinions will never be the majority opinions. Why should we expect that? The Scripture gives us no reason to expect it. You know, one of the things that corporate worship does, we we should worship, of course, because God is worthy of our praise. That's the biggest reason to worship. But there's a side benefit to worship, and that is that we have this Christian fellowship. We hear one another saying this creed and singing these praises together. And you know what? We're reminded of something because at some point during the week, we had a little pity party. Oh, I must be the only Christian left. Well, you see, on Sunday morning, you can forget that. You can't possibly think that. You can't have that Elijah complex. Remember Elijah? Oh, Lord, I'm the only one left. No, Elijah, there's 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. Every Sunday morning, you find that out. And that's a blessed thing about worship and Christian fellowship. Jesus, of course, was right in saying, as you look at the path to life, there are few people on it. Well, it's narrow. You can only go single file. You can only see a few as the trail winds along. But does that mean that there's millions and millions lost and three people saved? Is that what he's saying? You have to counterbalance this with, other texts, while at any given moment you might see only a few on that trail compared to the many on Broadway, you have to counterbalance it with the final result given in a place like Revelation chapter 7. When John was given the vision there to see the final census of the people of God, he saw it visibly and he called it a vast multitude that no man can count from every nation and tribe and language All the people who came along that narrow way of Christ. Now, you see, if you're just zooming down Broadway and you never know anything different, then there's no choice there for you. But you can't go away from here after today if you've even been awake and listening in any manner And say, nobody ever told me there was another road. Nobody ever told me. I just didn't know. I'm telling you. And you know. And once you know, there's a choice to be made. And I have to ask you if you've gone through the gate of Jesus Christ. Have you declared before God your helplessness and your spiritual need of an eternal Savior? Have you said to Him, I've got... A resume, it looks pretty good. I think I'm doing well. But it's actually garbage. I need a Savior. And I see, here's Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I stand in the gate of life. Come through me. Come through my death. Come through my resurrection and receive benefits you never dreamed about. And best of all, receive life. Folks, if you've chosen Christ, if you're clinging to him and walking by him today, there's a whole other area we could talk about that I have no time to. But you see, this choice of yours happened because God chose you a long time ago. There's a great mystery there. And you don't have to understand the mystery to be one who makes the choice. But I just want to be sure you're confronted with what Jesus says here. There isn't a middle way. There's no neutrality. You're either traveling the way of Christ, the narrow path after Christ, or you're traveling some other road with a completely different destination. That's what our Scripture says, plainly and clearly. You can't miss it. You can't change it. You can't turn it inside out. That's what it says. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Whenever I see this passage, I think of an experience I had 20 plus years ago, I was in an airplane about to take off from the Buffalo airport to go to Chicago. And the door had been closed, and the plane started to taxi to move out to the runway. And the pilot, you know, they usually wait till then to come on the intercom and say, Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard this flight to Chicago. That's what the pilot said. All of a sudden, there was a yelp at the back of the plane. And all of a sudden, there was a big commotion, and I heard the bin snap open. And all of a sudden, somebody was not walking, but running up the aisle. A lady was running up the aisle with her purse nearly knocking me out as she went by. And she said, I'm on the wrong plane. And she ran to the front of the plane. Well, fortunately, I don't know what the regulations are on this. Some of you pilots will have to tell me. But to my surprise, actually, the plane turned around and went back to the terminal and let her off. I don't know whether she made her her flight or not. She was on the wrong plane. But, folks, I guarantee you, one minute after your death, there will be no opportunity to run up the aisle and say, I'm on the wrong plane. Right now counts forever. Choose Christ, choose the gate of life. And pursue that path till its end in His strength, with His life coursing through you. You'll never regret it. With Moses, I say, I have put before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life. And Father, we thank you that your gospel is narrow. Narrow enough to be a path to life. Give us courage and faith to go down that path with you. Hold on to us because the way is sometimes hard. Thank you that we know you will never let us go. For Jesus' sake, amen.